Life podcast. We truly hope you'll be inspired and challenged today. Now, let's dive into this message with the family at Pleasant Ridge. For the month of October, um, we, the elders, uh, decided to do some teaching on prayer, and this is all in preparation for our prayer weekend uh, that'll be coming up the last weekend in October. Um, and uh, we'll be giving out some uh, special prayer bulletins that you can use to pray for that weekend. Uh, just ask that you, you know, just take a, an hour uh, during that weekend. It could be on Friday, it could be on uh, Saturday. Um, and just pray. Pray for the needs of others. Pray for uh, certain things. And uh, if you have prayer requests that you would like to have included in that, um, there's some uh, prayer request cards on the seat backs. Uh, you can fill out as many of those as you want and just drop them in the offering box. That way we can get those in the prayer bulletin so we can have those uh, to hand out the, during that week. But uh, in all the preparation for that, we, we felt that it would be good to do some teaching on prayer. And so each of the elders was going to take, uh, uh, take a week and, and teach something about prayer. And uh, we thought it would be helpful uh, really not only to remind us um, about the importance of prayer, but perhaps really to kind of reestablish what Scripture teaches about prayer and um, basically, you know, why, why we need it. Uh, last week, Alan taught on uh, Trinitarian prayer, how, how the Trinity is, is all part of our prayers, how the Trinity, the Father, the Son, and the uh, Spirit play an important role in our praying, um, and so I felt that was very helpful. And I don't think anybody in here would, would argue that prayer is, is not important, right, or that it's not commanded. I, I think we all know that, right? Like, we, we know that it's important. We know that it's um, uh, commanded. But I think many times there is this hint of, does it work, right? Does God really care? I mean, what an amazing testimony we heard today, right, about the Jesus vehicle, right? And, and just even uh, Shoshana sharing, you know, just how prayer just changed that, right? Like, that's amazing. But I think there are times in our lives where, where we struggle, where we come to a point and, and we start asking those questions, does it work? And it could be we found our place, a place in our lives where it, it might be hard or difficult, it might be um, that... We are going through a, a dark time in our life, and so those questions start coming into our mind. Um, you know, even, even the disciples of our Lord Jesus um, accused him of not caring. If you can remember when they were on the boat um, on the Sea of Galilee, and the Sea of Galilee, it's, it's really interesting to see there because at, a, at any moment, a storm can rise up. It's got its own weather system. It's, it's quite uh, interesting. And while they were on the boat, uh, Scripture tells us that a, a storm just suddenly came upon them. And I mean, the waves are coming over the boat. I mean, they're being swamped. Uh, they're fearing for their life. In fact, they, they are looking for Christ, and they find him down below, and he's asleep. And they basically go over there, and they accuse him, and they say, Do you not care? Right? Do you not care? Our lives are about ready to perish. Do you not care? Right? And Jesus is like, why are you afraid? Right? He speaks and the storm stops. Right? Um, 
So I, I think that that's something that we sometimes uh, struggle with a lot. Um, you know, life can drastically change in an instant, I mean, so quickly. Uh, life is full of different seasons. Uh, Solomon, one of the most wisest persons uh, in, in all of Scripture that we find, um, as he was considering life and the vanity of it, described it this way. He said, For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven, a time to be born, a time to die, a time to plant, a time to pluck up what is planted, a time to kill, a time to heal, a time to break down, and a time to build up, a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance, a time to cast away stones, and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace, a time to refrain from embracing, a time to seek, a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to tear, and a time to sow, a time to keep silence, and a time to speak, a time to love, and a time to hate, a time for war, and a time for peace. You know, I think those words really strike a chord with us because we know they're true, right? We know that in life there are different seasons that we go through, hardships, difficulties, things like that, pain, trouble, trial. And we know that all of life is, is not happiness, right? I mean, I think that's one of the dangers of a lot of the social media is it portrays your life as being perfect, you know? And I think that's what people gravitate towards and they look at their life and they say, well, my life is not perfect. How come these people have such a perfect life? You know, we only post or we, we kind of, in a way, make it look like this is what our life is, you know? But we know that that's not true. All of us have pain, trouble, trials, difficulties. Um... But, you know, I would like for us to consider this, this morning, and this, this is kind of what this leads to me, uh, what I'd like to talk about today, this morning, um, how Scripture teaches how sorrow, hardship, difficulty, pain, troubles, trials, how they play a very significant role in our prayer life, and what God is doing through all of that. Um, I had planned on teaching about confession in our prayer, you know, the, the fact of, of confessing our sin in our prayer, um, being broken by our sin, things that we do committing against uh, God. But as I was studying, it was just, the Lord just kind of directed this a different way. And, um, and I, I think there's a, there's a reason for, for all those things. A conversation I believe that we need to have concerning prayer is how do we handle the pain, the difficulty, the trouble, the trials, what, what really is our spiritual temperature, you know, when those things happen? Like, how, how are we responding, right? I think sometimes uh, the way people respond when there's pain, difficulties, trials, either they do not talk to God at all, they kind of, you know, shrink back, um, or there's the accusation against God, um, or as hopefully we'll see here this morning about this lamenting in prayer, you know, bringing our, our hardships and our difficulties to God and expressing them in a, in a heartfelt way. You know, a biblical theme that you see woven throughout all of Scripture is this lamenting where those who know God cry out to God in times of deep distress and despair. So this morning we're going to deepen our understanding of 
what Scripture teaches us about how lamenting and prayer can help us during these times in our life and what God teaches us in the midst of it. So here's what I'd like for you to take away with you this morning. Lamenting and prayer helps us learn how to trust God more fully. Lamenting and prayer helps us learn how to trust God more fully. So let's look at a few things here before we uh, take some time looking at a text here. Uh, I think we need to ask the question, what is lamenting? You know, when we look throughout Scripture, we see times where those who knew God, they were met with pain and distress. This is one of the great things about Scripture is it's all not candy and roses and, you know, life is wonderful, right? Like we see the pain, we see the distress, we see the discomfort, we see uh, the the hardships that, that people really have. And it also shows us their responses, how they respond during those certain seasons in life. Uh, and their response is from what we see is this lamenting and prayer. After all, really, I mean, who could do anything about the things that we are going through except God alone, right? And so uh, that's, I believe that's why they're lamenting and they're going to God in prayer. So what does it mean to, to lament? Well, in biblical sense, lamenting is more than feeling sad about our circumstances, It is crying out to God in the midst of those circumstances. The most significant place where we find people lamenting in prayer is in the Psalms. In the Psalms, we meet real people with real problems, real hardships, real difficulties, real heartaches. It is in the Psalms that we find that God provides words of lament for the feelings that sometimes we don't seem to have words for. One of the things that I love about Scripture is it does not ignore the hard realities of life. It doesn't put a sugary coating on it. It shows us that lament is a normal part of the path of life while we are here on this earth. Job was a man that was acquainted with grief and hardships. I mean, his whole family was violently taken away in an instant, lost it all. He didn't get to say, I love you, see you tomorrow. He didn't get to say, I'm really going to miss you. It was just gone, so quick. Listen to what he said in uh, Job 14, 1 through 2. He said, man who is born of a woman is few of days and full of trouble. Not just some trouble but full of trouble. He comes out like a flower and withers. He flees like a shadow and continues not. You know, it's interesting to note that many people find comfort in the Psalms when they are going through hardships and difficulties. I know that there's been times, I'm sure you as well, have turned to the Psalms to find some kind of comfort in that. Why is that? Well, I believe it's because of the way the person laments, how they cry out to God. They're expressing things that we ourselves are acquainted with. There's a realness there. It's heartfelt and words that we can relate to. There are more psalms of lament than any other type of psalm. 
Not only there are specific psalms of lament, but you don't have to really look very far to actually see that the language of lament is actually throughout all of the psalms. You can see it here and there, places of that. In fact, more than half of the psalms are psalms of lament. The psalmist often voices his struggles to the Lord in prayer. And this leads us to an interesting question. Is lamenting complaining? Well, yes and no. Let me explain. Lamenting is a language of prayer. It's how we communicate to God. It's what we are expressing it's, it's, it's when we are trying to tell God what is going on in our life, but yet we're having a hard time getting across to Him what we are feeling. And so we are expressing it in a certain way. And that's the lament of it. Lamenting allows us to express our grief to our Father in the form of a biblical complaint. Sinful complainings. Complaining is expressing displeasure or dissatisfaction in someone or something. All of us are very good at that, by the way. This is often seen in people who are angry at God. It's expressed this way. God, you could have, you fill in the blank, but you didn't. God, why didn't you? Go ahead, fill in the blank. God, if you cared about me or loved me, you would have... You fill in the blank. Oftentimes, the most common response to pain and adversity is complaining. If you don't believe me, change things up today in your family's natural rhythm of life and routine that you're doing. I mean, if you had certain plans that you were going to do today, just change them up when you get home and just watch the complaints just start, right? And usually that's what it is because the reality is we want to be in charge of our own life. We want to be the captain of the ship. And all of a sudden, when the wind starts to blow a different direction, the storm comes, there's a hole in the boat, we start complaining. I think this gives us great insight to how most of our prayers are directed to God when things change that we do not expect. Oftentimes our prayers are, we want God to change our circumstances, to change the outcome or to make the hardship just go away. However, that's not always the way of our Father as seen numerous times in Scripture. Suffering often strips us of the illusion that we are in control of everything. And when things don't go the way we expected them to go, or turn out the way that we wanted them to turn out, or thought that they should have turned, the result is complaining, and all complaining is always directed towards God. Why is that? Well, because God is always in control, and he has our best interests at heart. So when we complain, we are saying to God, I'm not happy the way that you have brought these things into my life. I'm dissatisfied with what you are doing. I do not approve of you being the captain and where you are taking me. But in lamenting, however, 
We are candidly talking to God about what is wrong. This is a biblical complaint. We are vocalizing the circumstances that at the time just don't seem to fit. They don't make sense. What is going on? What is happening here? We are vocalizing the circumstances that at the time are hard. A biblical complaint is not venting our sinful anger. It's merely telling God about our struggles. It is during this time of biblical complaint that we lament, we express our grief towards God. And we express it to Him and what we're going through to our all-powerful and knowing God who does hear us and welcomes our prayers of lament so He can care for us during that season of difficulty. In seasons of hardship, difficulty, pain, and mourning, do you find yourself lamenting to God or complaining to God or not praying to God at all? How we respond shows how much we actually do trust God. Now, I want to turn our attention to Psalm 88 and look at a psalm of lament. Because here in Psalm 88, the psalmist is pouring out his heart to God in prayer expressing his grief and sorrow, and perhaps there are some truths that we can take away from this to really help us understand how powerful, good, and faithful our God is even in the seasons of darkness in our life. Now, I know there are those in here in our fellowship that have had seasons of trial and despair. Some have lost a child. Some have lost a spouse. You've lost your health job security, a myriad of other types of things that have come into your life. Perhaps you've been there with the psalmist and have lamented and you've seen God work. But what about when, you face, when you're faced with the difficulties and it seems as if you are suffering alone? What do we do? What about when it seems as if there is only a one-sided conversation? How can we find any hope in the midst of our pain? I grabbed this book uh, last year. I came across it. Um, it was recommended to me. Um, and, and really, the, the reason why I got it was um, there was a family that we were able to uh, minister and serve that... Um, they had lost their daughter uh, to some very difficult circumstances and um, was asked to do, the, to do the funeral. And I'll tell you, that, that, was a, that was a really hard, difficult funeral to do. And I, I, I think a lot of it had to deal with the fact of, because this was probably the first funeral that I was a part of that I did for a family whose mother and father lost their child, and I myself being a father. And so there was some of the, the, the relation, you know, of, of knowing, having a child, um, not knowing, not saying I know what it's like to lose a child, but knowing the care and the concern that you have for your own children. 
And if that was taken away, you know, uh, what, what, what that would be like. And so I, I came across this book, and the, the title of the book is called The Last Thing We Talk About. It, it used to actually be titled uh, The View from the Hearse. It's, it's all about death and dying, uh, but it's, it's got some really, really interesting things in here um, about how we handle death, how we view death, things like that. But... Um, in this book, the, the man, uh, Joseph Bailey, him and his wife, uh, he, he kind of reveals this as he's, as he's talking about things. Um, they had a five-year-old son, and a five-year-old son's name was Danny, and Danny uh, was diagnosed with leukemia. And from the time that he was diagnosed to the time that Danny died was nine months. And during that time, they spent time with Danny, they talked with Danny, they talked with him about the Lord, they talked with him about heaven, they talked with him about, you know, uh, leaving and going to meet with Jesus, and Danny was a child. He, he understood those things, he accepted them as a child would accept them, you know, the faith of a child. But uh, the man Joseph here, he, he talks about the very last day that Danny was alive, and he said, my wife and I were sitting with them on the bed, talking with him about going to be with Jesus. And he said, Danny looked at us and told us, he said, I don't want to leave. I want to be with you. I don't want to leave my room. I love it here. I, I want to spend my time with you, with you here. But Danny did die. Hard, difficult, right, to go through something like that. And we, and we think, boy, that, that's difficult. I mean... Uh, the fact of losing a child, right? They, they say that um, statistics show that when a, the death of a child occurs in a family, that divorce uh, rates skyrocket because the family trying to cope with that, it's very difficult. You know, they're trying to, trying to understand things, trying to work through those things. But not only did Danny die, but later on they welcomed a new uh, child into their life, a little baby boy. He was born, John. And John was born with a severe handicap. He lived one day, and then he died. Then later on, their older son was just out sledding, had a freak accident, and he... Uh, had a condition where his blood would not clot, and he died as well. Three sons died. Hard, difficult, right, to go through those types of things. I want to read something to you that um, he wrote, and this was something that he, he wrote about um, lamenting, and this is what he said. He said, let me alone, Lord. You've taken from me what I'd give your world. I cannot see such waste that you should take what poor men need. You have a heaven full of treasure. Could you not wait to exercise your claim on this? Oh, spare me, Lord. Forgive that I may see beyond this world beyond myself, your sovereign plan, 
or seeing not may trust you. Spoiler of my treasure, have mercy, Lord. Here is my quick claim. How do we handle such grief? Interesting enough, God's word gives us the words of a man who experienced some very dark times in his life here in Psalm 88. And Psalm 88 is this lamenting prayer of Heman the Ezraite who poured out his soul before God and we don't seem to see any glimmer of hope, none whatsoever. Who is this guy? Who is, who is this man that is, that is under such grief and hardship and difficulty? Well, Heman is mentioned throughout the Old Testament as a man who led the people of God in worship. He was known as a poet and a man who studied God. According to 1 Kings 4.31, Heman the Ezraite was one of the five wisest men in his generation. However, something had happened and the curtain has been drawn into this man's life that we see him struggle with hardship and difficulty. From the beginning of this psalm to the end, there's no reprieve whatsoever. I mean, most of the psalms of lament, if you, if you look at them, there's, there's the hardship, there's the difficulty, but then it, they start to come out. And, and it's almost like there's a glimmer of hope. There's that, there's that silver lining, right, in the, in the dark clouds. But not for this man. From the beginning to the end, there's no reprieve. It's just darkness, hardship difficulty. There really is no other psalm like it because it presents such a bleak picture. It has no praise at the end, it just ends. It ends on a very depressing note, actually. In fact, as you will see in a moment, it actually ends with this horrible groan that the psalmist gives out. So let's go through this psalm, and even though it's dark, I want you to see something very beautiful and real that God does through this process of lamenting uh, in our prayers. I want you to notice here his cry, okay? Look at this, verse number one and two. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Here's the connection with lamenting. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. And so this psalm begins with this anguished cry of distress. Do you see it there? And we should notice a couple things. Look, first it is addressed to who? It's addressed to the Lord. The God of my salvation. This man knew God. He knew him. And despite the fact that the psalmist is in this position where he feels overwhelmed by life, and even by God, he still acknowledges that this is his God, the God of his salvation. I think a big misconception that we seem to think a lot of times is that those that really walk with God, that know God, that serve God, they don't have any problems in life. This man led worship. This man studied God. And here he is now going through a very dark and distressful time. Second, we should notice this psalm is a prayer. Despite this overwhelmingly despairing note in the psalm, it is still a prayer. He's praying. He's praying. This is, this is his prayer towards God. 
And it's addressed to God. And we'll see that also in verse 13. He talks about my prayer as well. But both of these points show us that the psalmist, although he's going through some difficult times, he still prays to God, to his God. The psalm quickly moves on through. The psalmist is not interested in affirming this God, but rather in pouring out his troubles before him. And then even questioning him. Because notice his troubles, okay? So he's crying this out. Look at verse 3. Now he's going to start telling us of, of his troubles. He says, for my soul is full of troubles, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pits. I'm a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more for they are cut off from your hands. And so we have this list of troubles, and this is really an impressive list. Right? I mean, he's not, he's not saying, my back hurts. Right? He's not saying, you know, I'm having this difficulty here, I'm having this. Notice how he's, how he's acquainting himself. Right? This is, this is his trouble that he's going through. This is what he's feeling in his soul. This is what he feels like. This is the language that he's lamenting to God in prayer. And this list of troubles is filled with images of what? Joy? Happiness? What? Death. Is there any glory in death? Is there anything beautiful about death? No. These images, Sheol, the pit, the grave, the dead, the slain, the defiled bodies. Right? The psalmist has not died, but he uses these images to illustrate how serious his troubles are. Look how much my soul is in trouble. And he paints this overwhelming picture of darkness and despair towards God as he's lamenting this to God. Notice what he says, he continues on here, and he's now going to lament about his afflictions from God. Look at verses 6 through 9. The psalmist now points to God as the source of his problems. He says, you have put me in the depths of the pits, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me. And you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made a whore to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Here again, we have this darkest images imaginable. God is brought down to, has, has brought down to the lowest pit, to the dark places, is what he says here. The depths. The psalmist feels the weight of God's wrath. He feels it. Or he feels the, 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 the weight of the waves just coming down upon him. How many of you have ever been to the ocean before? And been out there when the waves are coming. And as you get out a little bit more, those waves start pounding and hitting a little bit harder and harder. And then before you know it, you, you're, you're getting knocked over by them. 
This is what the psalmist is expressing. This is what he's feeling. Uh, Perhaps worst of all, God is removed. Notice what he says here. He's removed his friends from him. There is no one he can turn to. He's totally alone. Have you been there? Have you been there where it seems like there's nobody else? I'm suffering alone. I'm going through this. That's what the psalmist is expressing towards God. We ourselves know from experience the support of family, friends, and church people bring, you know, uh, to our community that we have. But what if all those are gone? That's what the psalmist is expressing. And he feels as though he has none of these, and he will later repeat this more forcefully at the end of Psalm in verse number 18. But the psalmist feels so overwhelmed, he's trapped and he cannot get out. He can't see. His eye is dimmed with grief. He's been, he's been crying so much, it's just, he can't see straight. It's dim. And he calls out to God in seemingly futile attempt to get him to listen. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. God, I'm in distress. God, I need you. Right? This is, this is the lament that he's pouring forth towards God. Now he begins to ask questions to God. Verses 10 through 12 here. As a result of all this, the psalmist turns to the only one he can. He turns to God. And he has a series of six questions. You see them here, right? The questions. Now if you look closely, you'll see that all of the questions are pretty much surround the same theme. There's one theme with all these questions. And basically the theme is, the dead do not praise God. And all the questions are asked within that theme. Now take note of how each question is asked with connection both with death and about God's goodness. Okay. Now I highlighted God's goodness in purple. You'll see those. And underlined the words associated with death. So here's the questions. Do you work wonders? This is God's goodness, right? This is the praise. We praise God for his wonders. Wow, God, look what you've done. Amazing. But he says, do you work wonders for the dead? Do the dead praise God? What do dead men do? They stink. That's it. So he says, Do you work wonders for the dead? He asked again, do the departed rise up to praise you? No. Is your steadfast love declared in the grave? Or your faithfulness in Abaddon? That's the bottomless pit. Are your wonders known in the darkness? Or your righteousness in the land? Of forgetfulness? Why does the psalmist lament in his prayer to God this way? Well, I believe there are two assumptions in this. One is that the psalmist feels troubled even by the threat of death, literally or metaphorically. Maybe he feels that he's about to die. Right? Maybe he's, he's having these, these, these feelings of, of hardship and difficulty that he's probably going to die. 
Or secondly, which I think is more important, is I believe that the psalmist equates praising God, testifying to his goodness, his steadfast love, his faithfulness, his righteousness, his wonderful works with life. One commentator noted that for the psalmist, the relationship between praising and not praising was the same as that between living and not living. To put it more bluntly, if you are alive... You need to be praising God. Because the dead do not praise God. And the life that God gives you here and now, no matter the hardships, no matter the difficulties, no matter the darkness, as even this man's experiencing, and the lament that he's expressing to God, we need to be praising God. This thought is expressed a little bit more clearly in a passage from Psalm 30, another lament. Listen to what it says, Psalm 30, verse number 9. What gain is there in my destruction, in my going down into the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it proclaim your faithfulness? In this passage, we can see the psalmist assures that while he is alive, he will praise God. So too, in Psalm 88... This assumption is behind the questions, I believe, in verses 10 through 12. The psalmist's request for deliverance from his handicaps and difficulty is not self-centered or self-serving. It's not some last-ditch effort of survival here. I want you to feel the weight of this. Look at the text. Look at his request. Why does he seek deliverance? Why is he pouring out his heart in anguish and torment to God? Why does he want life? So he can feel better? So he can get on in life? Do those things that he's always wanted to do? Make sure he's marking these things off his bucket list? No. It's centered around to praise you. My life is about to be extinguished. I'm in darkness. God, I need life so I can praise you. It's all focused on God. It comes out of an experience in the past where there was a better relationship with God. It is a request born out of faith in God as one who could deliver him and as one whom the psalmist wants to praise even if he cannot bring himself to do it right now. Do you see how much different this language of lament is from so many of our prayers of selfishness are? Because I believe sometimes our prayers are are more linked to what we want. They're they're selfish. They're they're self-centered. It has nothing to do with God. It's just all about us. It's not about praising Him. But not Heman here. I know this is true because this is inspired Scripture. And he's writing exactly what was going on. And he was writing it with the authority of the Holy Spirit. Now let's keep going here because it doesn't get any better for Heman, okay? Look at these final cries of distress and affliction. It's it's not getting any, any lighter. I mean, there's no silver lining here. Heman concludes his prayer of lament through another desperate list of his troubles here in verses 13 through 18. 
And he's crying out to God and describing in more detail the ways in which God is afflicting him. Listen how he uses almost every image imaginable to get his point across. Verses 14 and 15. O Lord, why do you cast my soul away? Why do you hide your face from me? Afflicted and close to death from my youth up, I suffer your tears. I am helpless. He speaks of God rejecting him, of his being afflicted and even dying from the days of his youth. Look what he says here, continuing in verse 16, 17. He says, your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults, they destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. He tells us of, his, of God's tears, his wrath, his dreaded assaults all sweeping over him. And I cannot think of like a wave. I, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen that... Uh, um, that uh, one movie, the, the Perfect Storm, right? The, the boat, it's out there. The Andrea Gale, right? It's out, it's out there in the ocean. And there's this huge wave that just mound, it's humongous, and it just, right? It just capsizes the boat. The ocean just swallows up that boat. And I cannot help but think of this as this psalmist is expressing this, this giant wave of God's tear, right? Just sweeping over. Notice how Heman ends this lament, because this psalm ends on a very depressing note. Look at verse number 18. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become darkness. God has taken away his closest supports and all he has left is darkness. The NASB, uh, if you have the NASB, you probably see it uh, translating here. You have removed lover and friend far from me. My acquaintances are in darkness. The NIV reads, you have taken my companions and loved ones from me. The darkness is my closest friend. But you cannot help but see that the last phrase, right, a single word, darkness. Now, this is a psalm, right? This is a song. He's teaching us a song of lament. This is a prayer to God. And on the very last note, it's a groan. Darkness. How depressing is that? This is what this man's experiencing. This is what he's feeling. This is what he's expressing to God. And it's this final cry of desperation. There's no chipper ending to this psalm. From beginning to the end, it's darkness. So what do we learn from this language of lament in prayer? So I want to give you three lessons that I I think that we learn from this. And here they are really quickly. Number one, in the hardest of circumstances, prayer is still important. This man, very dark time, There's no chipper ending. There's no ray of sunshine. There's no, it's going to get better. It's darkness. We don't even know the end result of what happened. The Bible doesn't tell us. What do we know? Darkness. But what does this man still do? 
he prays. And I think that is so important in times of difficulty, distress, even though if it seems like there's no ray of sunshine, there's no happy ending, there's no reprieve, there's no end in sight, what should we still be doing? Praying. And that's exactly what Heman did. And he prayed. And what did he pray? He prayed the God of my salvation. Here's a second lesson we learn. What we feel and experience are real, but so is God who can sympathize with us. I believe this man was going through some real, difficult, hard, dark times. He experienced these things. He was expressing them to God. I mean, they were heartfelt. But God is real as well. And he enters in to our hardships and difficulties, and he can sympathize with us. We know that because God our Father gave up his son, Jesus. Think about this. The Trinity, right? The Father, the Son, the Spirit, co-equal, co-existent, always have existed together always been in relation with one another. The father gives up the son. The son dies. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? God forsook his own son for our sin. The Bible later on tells us in Hebrews that because of what Jesus suffered, that he's became a, become a faithful high priest who knows how to enter into our sufferings. And he can sympathize with us. We can go to him in prayer. It says that we can boldly come to the throne of grace and find grace and help in the time of need. And so he can sympathize with us. Here's the last one. Our satisfaction is found in God. I think this is probably one of the most hardest things that we learn in times of lamenting in prayer. You see, oftentimes in the season of hardship, trials and trouble, we find that we are lacking something, okay? Now, this is, this is not, you know, I don't think there's anything here in, in Heman's life that it was like, well, you know, Heman, you must have sinned, you know, kind of like Job's friends, right? I don't, I don't think that was the, the case here. Um, but we have to remember that, that God is always trying to bring us to himself. Okay? And we find in times of lament that there's something that is lacking. Okay? And what is that? It is to find our satisfaction and joy in God and God alone. That's it. That he is the only sustainer of life. That's it. And I believe this is what God tries to do in these times of lament. He tries to bring us to himself. So we learn how to trust him more. Psalm 1611 says, You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. And so out of our grief we are given grace as we become satisfied in God, which gives us great hope to continue even in the midst of sorrow and pain. And so God uses this 
to draw us to himself so that we find satisfaction in him and him alone. Let me give you one last psalm. The psalmist writes, Psalm 77, 24 through 26. You will guide me with your plan and afterward receive me to glory. Whom do I have in heaven but you? And with you, I desire nothing on earth. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forevermore. Can you agree with the psalmist, what he just said? Is God your satisfaction? Is he the only one that you desire? Let's pray together. If you're interested in more information about our church or knowing the peace that Jesus gives, visit our website at lifeattheridge.church.